We tend to, as I was saying earlier, react to our life instead of respond to it. We all want to be that person who is free of judgment, who is kind, who is patient, who is more loving. But there are these emerging negative qualities like, oh, well, here's a judgmental thought. Here's this thought. Here's this critical thought. Here's this rude thought. Here's this mean thought. Those things arise and pass through. And generally, because there's no space there and we're living in a reactionary way, we say those things without thinking of them. And then usually later do a little post-event processing go, oh, well, I was kind of a jerk. I wish I wouldn't have said that. And so through a little meditation or just being able to recognize when those things arise and choosing to not say those things, choosing to throw those things into what I call the mindfulness gap creates this whole different version of you because, you know, we're not our thoughts. We're our thoughts we put into action. That's Corey Allen. And this is episode 301 of Wellness Force Radio. Wellness Force Radio, where we discover the physical and emotional intelligence to live life well. You can have the same brain states as someone who's done an hour of meditation every day for 40 years. There's a lot of losses that we go through, so the ability to be able to cope with those losses is very important to build skill in it, because loss will happen. You know, you have to have spiritual courage to really grow spiritually, because if you really want to take guidance from your soul, you have to be ready to realize that many of the things that you're asking for guidance on, your ego has some kind of an addiction to or an investment in. This podcast is brought to you by the homies, the friends. Everyone at Organifi, I love Organifi. It is the best, I'm going to say this right now, two hands on the, on the table, on my standing desk. Two hands on the table, the best green juice on the market. They give us the ultimate hookup. You know, they support the show and you can support us by saving money for yourself. Isn't that a cool concept? You can save money on all the products at Organifi from the ashwagandha infused green juice to the turmeric reishi and turkey tail gold that helps you sleep like a baby like a happy baby, go over to Organifi.com forward slash wellness force because you're here with us because you're a wellness force listener. You're here with us in the community. You can go to Organifi.com forward slash wellness force and get 20% off any single thing you like. Give it a test drive. I love these people. I love their products. I think you will too. Now today on the podcast, we're talking with my friend, Corey Allen. Corey Allen has a podcast himself. He is the host of the Astral Hustle podcast. But he's also a world-class audio engineer. He's a meditation teacher, and he's got 20 plus years of practice in this. He actually created a course online called Release Into Now. But this is Corey's second time on the show. Today, we're talking about his new book, Now is the Way, just released days ago. Corey Allen is coming back to Wellness Force. You can pick up a copy of his book. All you gotta do is go over to coreyallen.com. You'll see it right there, Now is the Way. We're talking about this. We, we live in these times where we do support higher thinking, but at the same time, we live in a brain that was designed for safety and reaction. Can you relate to this? These dance steps between, am I my thoughts or are those thoughts just leaves in the wind? Well, it's really easy to say they're leaves in the wind when they're thoughts that aren't that negative. But negative thoughts, especially hurtful thoughts, these are things that cause people to loop. Corey is a professional when it comes to giving people practical tools on how they can actually use their breath, their body, and their connection to themselves to get out of those monkey mind loops. If you have been dealing with looping thoughts or you've been in a space in your life where you're really interested in how do I be in the present moment? Like, like how do I actually be here with my wife, my husband, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my coworker? This podcast is going to be huge for you. We're gonna talk about why the brain is wired to get distracted, how we can actually take it back, especially from technology. <laughs> We're gonna talk with Corey about how to turn down our anxiety knob and how we can do this from a practical ground floor level. 
We're going to talk about specific exercises to increase our awareness and to clarify our thinking. We're also going to talk about this concept of the mind being a meat radio, which I know you're going to love. It's one of the first videos I ever saw from Corey. And we're going to talk about how in our core, we are still a human hunter gatherer. You know, we, we live in tribes, right? Physically. Mentally, though, we don't. Mentally, we live in these boxes, these apartments, these houses, and we're communicating through our phones all the time. We're going to talk about why this is causing us so much spiritual and interpersonal disruption. And a big piece of this that Corey is going to share with us is how to use gratitude, how to use meditation and gratitude that you can actually stick with. I promise you, if you're a person that's tried to meditate or you've had a little trouble, we're going to go through some strategies with Corey where he's going to show you how to do this. And we had a question from the audience and it was about binaural beats. If you're interested in Corey's binaural beats, go over to CoreyAllen.com. You can pick up his binaural beats. He has some amazing tracks over there. And his book is a modern guide for mindfulness, very unconventionally so. This modern world, it's overwhelming. It is, right? Sometimes. Sometimes it's beautiful. Actually, it's always beautiful. But anxiety rates are really high. We're more distracted than ever. A lot of people are suffering. It does not have to be this way. Corey teaches us that by learning how to control our minds, we can then control our lives. And in this book, he's giving us this fresh perspective, this bridge really between the knowing and the doing. If you've been following Wellness Force for a while, you know that Dan Party is one of my favorite guests when it comes to the bridge between knowing and doing. And this book with Corey in this podcast, we're going to talk about not just mental clarity, reducing anxiety, finding purpose and increasing your focus, but we're going to teach us how to stop reacting to life. How do we actually do this? How do we embody a consciousness, a mindset and presence in order to cut out the distractions, take our deep breaths and start living life from a place of response and peace? We're going to do that right now with Corey Allen right here on Wellness Force. My guest today is the host of the Astral Hustle podcast. He's a world-class mastering engineer for audio, but really at his core, he's a meditation teacher. He's got 20 plus years of practice in meditation. He's created an online course titled Release Into Now. This is his second time on Wellness Force, but today we're talking about his new book that I got the pleasure of reviewing, Now Is The Way, released just two days ago. Corey Allen, welcome back to Wellness Force, man. Man, thank you so much for having me. I'm really stoked to connect with you again and, uh, yeah, just get into it with you. Dude, you've been doing quite a bit in two years. I was looking at the calendar. It was two years ago, just by a couple of days that you came on the show, really looking forward to this podcast for about a month. I, I dig the layout of the book and I thought a really good jumping off point since we're focused on the now is what are you most grateful for in life right now? I think everyone, well, <laughs> There's levels to it, right? Um, I think that at my core, the fact that I'm aware at all, the fact that I'm just in a awake wave of consciousness right now, I'm really grateful for that because hmm. no matter what I'm experiencing, whether it's good or it's you know painful or it's filled with whatever, um, the fact that I'm experiencing it is quite enjoyable to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because just the chances of being a human in a body that is aware that it's having an experience in itself is such a such a gift, you know, that's um, quite enjoyable. Uh, I think that a surface level thing is that I just am really I deeply appreciate uh, I've been overwhelmed with gratitude for mm. people like you, man, like you, uh, people in my life that that I share this life with that we're all because of the book. You know, it's one of those weird situations where they're like, hey, you know how, you know, like 
several hundred amazing people, like, yeah, ask them all for favors all at once. <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> right. okay, uh, right on. Yeah. Um, but just like, you know, having everyone be so supportive and enthusiastic and feeling that true love and that excitement and having all the listeners of my podcast and just my community and everything, people showing up and being like really excited. And it's, yeah, it's just really incredibly heartening, man. It makes, it just makes me feel mm. like, I like, I feel like I almost don't deserve it, you know, but it's like, it's a, it's great. And the fact that what I'm trying to put onto the world is really comes from the heart mm. and is meant to, you know, help serve other people in the way that the ideas have served me. I think it's sort of, it's just a win-win for everybody. It just reminds me, you know, where I very first, thank you for sharing that, Matt, because I'm grateful you're here too. And it's, it's inspiring to see what you've created in less than two years. Two years ago, when you were on the show, did you even know you were going to write this book or when did this book come through as a download? Yeah. <laughs> I love the way you phrased it. Cause it's so, that's so perfect. Yeah, it was around that time I started thinking about it and the way that things tend to happen sometimes, like I literally started thinking, you know, I should basically the, the genesis of it was that I started writing these things on Facebook for a while on my, my uh, public page, just little thoughts and ideas and just short little things. Yeah. And that was whenever I was really getting my sea legs, kind of just figuring out the writing thing, enjoying writing those little things. And then I started thinking, you know, it would be really cool to write a book because around that time, my podcast is four years old now. So it was about two years old then. Um, I had been just sharing my past experiences, things that I had, you know, that were causing suffering in my life and how I thought my way through them or, or worked through them on my podcast. And I started getting a lot of feedback from listeners that were saying, you know, I've experienced that too, or I'm going through that right now. And mm. the way that you described how you moved through that has been helping me or it helped me get through it myself. So thank you. And I realized like, oh, this is not, these aren't me problems. These are universal human problems that everyone struggles with. Um, and then I thought, you know, maybe these are things like I learn these things by myself and I think that this is a good map that not only people that are interested in the things that you and I are interested in, but just for the human experience, like this yeah. is, it could be a useful map. And so I started thinking about that and literally a week later, I got an email from uh, someone that said, Hey, uh, I'm a literary agent. I'm curious if you have representation or if you've ever thought about writing a book, can we have a phone call? Oh, how know? did you feel in that moment? <laughs> oh, I just, I mean, yeah. you know, that type of stuff has happened over and over. And I just laughed and was like, okay, like there's the door, walk through it and <laughs> right. you're, you're off to the races. Did you so, have any, did you have any fear or like healthy fear or was it just like, no, let's do this? I, I'm always a, a let's do this type of guy, man. I, I don't have, I, I don't get uh, bound up with stuff like that because mm -hmm. throughout my life, like I've been making music for so long that, you know, I've put out like 15 records since the time I was in my early 20s. And so I've been through that process at least 15 times mm -hmm. <laughs> of like putting your chipping off a piece of your soul into something and then sending it out into the wild and just watching what happens. Um, and I've been crushed and made all the mistakes, had all the expectations that weren't fair and that were egoic, had them all destroyed by reality, and then been humbled and then learned to come to my art from and like things I create from the most uh, genuine place, the most humble place. And really, I love that you touched on, on gratefulness and gratitude at the beginning, because that's that's everything, man. Like, yeah. I, I appreciate and, and come to everything I do now, a podcast, a creative thing, whatever it might be, 
Yep. Just from a place of gratitude, man. You know, no matter the size, if it's someone with a million followers or listeners an episode or a hundred, it's like this is. I mean, people are people, and this is an opportunity that you, you can connect with someone. This is um, a skill set too. Is is restoking, reconnecting to the fire of gratitude. You know, we had Dave Asprey on the show, and he broke down the science of like, oh, this is what happens to your brain on gratitude. Gratitude is probably the most powerful drug we could ever feed into our brain. And I love this, by the way, I want to bring this up, dude. Three plus years ago, I saw a video that you created and it, I think it was called The Mind is a Meat Radio. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and, it, and I'm going to link it in the show notes so everybody can watch this. It's got like hundreds of thousands of views because, gosh, what's happening outside of our body, the things that our nervous system scan for, it's so, so imperative that internally we have a dialogue that's focused on love, possibility, potential and gratitude, but we are slaves. And this is what you talk about in your book, man. We can become, if we're not mindful, slaves to what's happening with the stimuli outside of our body. And this is really at the crux of why your book is so powerful. You call it unconventional uh, for modern mindfulness, but why why is this so unconventional? Because I think most people understand what mindfulness is, but uh, the way you wrote it was very unconventional. Yeah, it's unconventional. I'm glad you brought that up. It's unconventional because a lot of the books, the, the pillar books on presence, on mindfulness, on whatever uh, thing around this territory, they're 50 years old, 60 years old, or you know, 20 years old. And so I think that it was really time to take a lot of what those uh, the prior generation had, they'd really broken the ground by identifying this core ethos and core you know, pathways of this ways of thinking and how it can be applied to life. And so I really wanted to bring it into the modern world because, you know, I specifically speak to what it means to be a human living in the strange, beautiful times of now with technology, with just how everything has changed and really address those issues specifically. Um, Also, I feel like in a lot of books um, there, you know, everyone has their own writing style and their way of communicating Uh, to me. I very much want to feel like you and I are just sitting down and like having a, a, a talk and like just chilling out. It's a very conversational, very uh, personal, honest and just direct and very, um, very easy to, to digest, I think, because of that. And so that's another thing that makes it unconventional is not only is it just addressing everything that's happening today in the world, but it's also doing it in a way where. Um, there isn't like a hierarchical form of knowledge that's being thrown down. It's very much a, hey, you know, here's how I messed up. Here's how I got through it. Here's all. Here's my map of how I yeah. was able to get to get over. And uh, you know, I think this will be. This might treat you right, essentially. <laughs> I love how you, earlier you talked about universal human problems, universal human lessons. God, it's so easy to believe in this, in the illusion and the separation. And I remember talking about this in person uh, for quite some time with many of my friends where we find in our lives, I'll speak for myself, I find that sometimes I go weeks at a time where I'm, I'm believing that we're all one and it's deeply integrated in my psyche. And then something will happen, <laughs> you know, I'll get thrown off the horse and I'll believe in the illusion that we're all separate. Before we get into the different nuances of the book, man, can you talk about this a little bit, how some of us can go between being connected, loving the gratitude that exists between all things, that we are one, and then falling off the horse. Like, what does that look like for the modern person? Yeah, I think that mainly it's because we get into these echo chambers of 
of the self. I, I think it's an old brain, kind of an ancient brain symptom. Uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is the evolutionary hangover, you know, and that's the fact that our brain is we have an ancient brain, the amygdala and all those type of things. But then, you know, that's the launch pad for higher consciousness or so frontal cortex and and um, our, the more modern part of our brain. So we're still suffering from a lot of old brain issues in the modern world. Um, and so, you know, part of that old brain is to keep us self-focused. We want, we, we're designed to be paying attention and be self-involved constantly because it's really, it's like a protection mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, but how that manifests itself in the modern world is through an endless amount of selfies or reinforcing your, your personal bias through the internet over and over and over and getting into this echo chamber of the self where you cease to be able to see you know, other perspectives and other ways of living. And it's because of the way that social media has evolved, because of the way the internet has evolved, and how that has created a fragmentation uh, throughout um, our society in many ways. Uh, it's very easy to get pulled apart and picked apart and just remaining completely self-involved. Yeah. And a lot of things are designed to make us self-involved and make us only pay attention to ourselves. And that bleeds into, you know, the the dopamine hits of the likes and wanting to look special and and portray yourself online in a way that that you feel has high value and sets you apart from the pack, you know, in some way. And so because that is such a, a massive thing, kind of a, a sickness that's happening in our society right now, um, people want to try and and live up to that in a way. And marketers and companies, of course, everyone knows that. Yep. So as people are online trying to you know create their digital show you know, like mask of an identity or something like that all of the you know everyone that's selling things or of course serving that and getting people to continue to be self-focused continue to try and elevate themselves and and what have you because um, it so, works it works until we wake up i mean that's the oh, real yeah. truth absolutely man and yeah and so that you know it's easy for it to happen uh it, it, as i said you know the ecosystem of our modern world is designed to make us yeah. feel that way and so uh it's not you know one of the things i stress a lot in the book is like when you get drawn back into just being super self-focused because it's just gonna happen to all of us it's no big deal right it just it happens it's a part of being human it's a part of our brain design um, but the key is recognizing whatever happens. And as you mentioned, being able to reel yourself back into the present and a feeling and a, an awareness of connectivity with other people. And I feel like um, this is something I didn't know I was going to talk about this, but I've gone through a lot of thresholds recently. And I, I wrote something really quickly here that I'll share um, to preframe this next question. And it was this post. I just came out of nowhere after a meditation and I wrote, we live in times that support higher thinking while at the same time we live with a brain that was designed for safety and reaction. These dance steps between the two aren't taught in traditional school encapsulated into each one is the limitless potential and a lifelong lessons of learning and loving, but it takes the heart of a child and the mind of a warrior to live life well. The reason I wrote that is because I feel like you have this heart of a child. I feel like you're an adult that gets shit done. You're writing books. You have a podcast. You produce music. Yet inside there, man, I can sense that you like to play. You're a yeah. child. You know? How have you done this? How have you used the mindset of a warrior in the heart of a child to walk this path? Mm, yeah, I think that the heart of a child thing would be um, best described as just like having an openness. You know, like whenever you're – 
you're a child, you, you haven't been taught or your experiences have not taught you to calcify and close off your heart to other people and to judge people based on how they're, you know, how they look or whatever, however you identify them or whatever you project upon them. Um, you're just there taking things as they come to you in that moment because um, you haven't been shaped otherwise. And I went through a long period of being shaped otherwise. And it was a reemergence, a reopening of the heart that then allowed me to see through the facade of social context of, you know, identity projection of others and get past that and then connect to people heart to heart, connect to the world heart to heart. And that's left me very open and with this this limitless feeling of compassion and love and just um, uh, patience, I suppose, for myself and for other people. And I think that is where that kind of gleam of childlike love maybe shows up in me. It's just this, it's that pre-filtered presence of uh, equanimity uh, through, through love. Oh man, I love this conversation so much because as, as kids, we get scars, we get hurt. Like, let's be real to be human is to have pain, but suffering very optional. Um, we're suffering, we're distracted. We have all these things coming at us, but I think back to this piece you wrote in the book, you said, learn from the old you, which is a great way to describe this. You said, I was an angry young person, not in a chaotic way, but in a slow burning, silent way. And it was the way that you started to describe your process of spiritual evolution. Mm-hmm. You, at that point, what was making you so angry so that we all can connect with that part of ourselves that was in you? Oh, sure. Yeah. Just a lot of you know my environment, my family's structure. Um, I, you know, my parents were divorced whenever I was four and there was just a lot of chaos and anger and resentment and um, some, you know, a decent amount of trauma happening because I was, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, I just was just kind of a different type of person from everyone else in the rest of my family. You know, like my mom and dad, neither of them were readers. They weren't interested in any of the stuff I'm interested in at all. But somehow I was, I was thinking this way to, uh, in, in a smaller degree, even as a child. And, um, because of that, you know, I experienced a lot of things. Like one example is like, I was, you know, my, my mom put me in a mental institution whenever I was 14 because she thought I was weird or unstable or something like that. And I was like, no, I'm just, oh. cr- yeah, exactly. Wow, so I, did, just, I did not. So at that point though, she didn't have the tools obviously to understand who you were. Definitely. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm just creative, you know, like, yeah. it's just because like, I was like writing like a bunch of stories and like illustrating them and drawing and and doing all this type of stuff. And I was really, you know, definitely I was very uh, obsessive with um, music and, and various other things like that. Um, but yeah, um, it was seen as like, oh, this is a, a problem. And, um, you know, under the guise of she actually said, um, do you want to go to the mall and buy new clothes? And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And instead of that was a, a trick to get me to get in the car. And then she drove me to this place where I was then analyzed and like taken in like an inpatient instantly. And I was like, what is happening? So, you know, a, a, a pure destruction of trust like that and yeah. a breaking of that, condi- that, you know, making love. How could it be more apparent that it was conditional, right? It's like not believing or trusting that. But anyway, you know, just a multitude of experiences like that, yep. that, created a lot of trauma, you know, feeling abandoned by 
my father because he wasn't interested in my brother or I, um, and just feeling out of sync and incompatible with the rest of the world and suffering a lot of emotional manipulation and, as I mentioned, conditional love and and uh, being parented through fear as opposed through to through care and yeah so that that all of that just made me a very resentful and angry and sad person as man a kid. I, I have this metaphor in in understanding your story and reading your book it's almost like the, the coals of anger the, the hot coals of resentment they burn out this huge basement and capacity for love and then when the coals are gone we have a huge container to love more fully and that's what i feel from you what's your sense on that like why do we go through these uh, burning coals all of us have this we all go mm-hmm. through phases like this yeah i mean i think it's just it's a combination of like like life is messy, right? Being an animal is messy. No one's perfect in all of us, no matter how self-actualized you are. Like we're all going to mess up. You know, you look at someone like um, Alan Watts. They say his approach to child rearing was very quote unquote zen, you know, which basically meant it was just kind of careless and wild. And he was not like trying to con- parent in a conventional way. And there's been, you know, his kid- children have written about, you know, the struggles with that. So, you know, no one is is perfect. Um, and so we're all going to mess up and we're all going to go through these things. And, you know, you don't have to even go through something traumatic like, uh, you know, a lot, there's a lot of people suffer physical abuse and things like that. And you don't have to even go through something like that to yeah. that extreme to feel that same type of pain or to to have those coals, as you, you put it in a wonderful way, uh, burn that capacity into mm-hmm. um, because suffering is relative. You know, it's like. Um, something small to you that you encounter will will actually be uh, uh, is quite sizable, you know, yeah. because it's all relative to the experience. So if I experience something that's big and you experience something that seems not as big to me, well, that thing to you is still big because it's what you've experienced and therefore it's big and it has that capacity to create that that big container. I was recently hanging out uh, for my mom's 70th birthday. My, my little niece is um, four and six. And talk about like feeling their feelings, Corey, like (laughs) little kids, they teach us how to feel, but they process things quickly. I mean, they'll get sad about something and then they'll shake it off, you know, just like the wild animals do in nature. And and as adults, we can tend to, if we're not mindful, if we don't have the right tools, we tend to harbor these things, you know, we'll, we'll latch them to the shore and we'll keep them there so we can continue to be right about what happened. But there is something about being mindful and, and specifically the way that you teach people through meditation meditation to unwrap the rope, to let go of that thing that's causing so much resentment and to just watch it wash away. Let's talk about meditation because that's really from your story, what I feel transcended you from these hot coals, from the pain and everything else. I mean, meditation is the piece that really put you on this path. Yeah, that was a huge, huge, maybe the most beneficial thing I've ever encountered as far as a a tool. And I really encountered it by chance, you know, again, like I had no background or or influence for any of this stuff. And whenever I was a teenager, if memory serves, I I overheard someone mention Nietzsche's name one time. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting sounding name. And uh, a while later, I was walking through a bookstore and saw a book with his name on the back of it and went over and pulled it out and read and was looking at it. And I was like, oh, wait a second. This is the first time in my life that I'm reading something that I under that, like this is the way I think. It's not what I think, but it's the ma- like kind of the mathematical flow of the way I conceptualize 
and think of ideas. And that made me really obsessed with Western philosophy. Uh, and then after that, after just being complete and by obsessed, I mean, I would read four or five hours a day, at least, you know, philosophy every single day for, for years, really. Mm. Um, and then I moved to Eastern philosophy because a lot of the Western philosophers, you know, someone like Schopenhauer or, or what have you would reference Eastern thought. And so I got in, slowly got into Eastern thought and was also kind of reading some of the hippie philosophers like Terence McKenna and Robert Anton Wilson and people like that. And that led me to Eastern thought. And whenever I began reading that, then I was like, oh, this is not only how I think, but this is also what I think. Uh, and that is how I began to discover meditation was through those readings. And it's interesting that, you know, this is in the 90s. There wasn't any real like you couldn't go Google and watch YouTube like how to meditate. <laughs> it's a lot easier now. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. It was very much, um, you know, it's easier now, but also at the same time, it made it where I read all of these different approaches from different cultures throughout different history, you know, moments in time. And it made it where I, I really was able to experiment with each approach and then remove and just extract what worked for me and what made sense and then create my own style. Uh, and it took a lot of time and experiment. I mean, years of experimentation and yeah. going far off the edge of the cliff and coming back and all this stuff to really find out where the sweet spot was. Uh, and I think that it was, was more of a craftsmanship of, of a path as opposed to just sort of hitting a YouTube video and being, all right, I'm good to go now. Yeah. <laughs> At least it worked out well for me. This is what I found with meditation in my life is that thought loops come up quite a bit for me. I'm sure they do for most of us, right? But for me, I'll speak for myself. When I have a thought loop, the things that allow me to let it go is my breath and my stillness. You know, those are the only two things I have. And you talk about this in your book, you know, how to break free from these loops. So many of us, we fixate on thoughts that, who knows if they're even ours, Corey, it could be like from right. a past life or something, right? Like some of these things yeah. that are brand, like what the fuck is that even doing in there? So how have you, how have you seen this with yourself, with the people in the online course and, and talk to us about this thought loop, why they get stuck and then how we can get unstuck. Yeah. I think that the thought loop is another way. It's, you know, anxiety, it's a little bit of inner critic. It's, you know, kind of a combination of some frontal brain things, which in essence are, uh, it's a story, you know, we all identify and understand ourselves through the stories that we tell ourselves about our lives. Like we're all these authors that are writing our, our, our futures and walking into them and writing the current moments. We're making up what truth is. We're, we're assuming what, how other people think. We're assuming what the conclusions of circumstances that are before us will be. And that comes from uh, another ancient brain, uh, functionality, which is our ability to conceptualize. It's very useful back when we were walking through the jungle and we were walking, we would see a tree about 10 feet in front of us beginning to fall over on the path we were walking on. We could see and go conceptualize. All right, that's going to continue falling. If I continue walking, I'm going to get crushed. So I will stop walking. Very useful. Not so useful whenever in, in the modern world, whenever things have changed, our brains have evolved and so on. Moreover, now we're sitting around thinking about some completely purposeless, meaningless thing to do with our job or something like that or our relationship that we've just made up this conceptual idea. And then because we made it up and it, and it predates upon our fear or our, our insecurity or something like that, then it, it gains legs. We begin to come up with a story to validate it and then it, we become obsessed on it because mm – -hmm. 
it's keeping us highly self-focused <laughs> because we're literally all we're doing is sitting there thinking me, 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 me. What about me? What about me? And, uh, so those things are insidious. Uh, but the way that, um, I suggest if they're, if they become, if they're bordering on destructive where it's like, um, uh, an intense mental rumination, I suggest to get up and actually go engage with something because, mm-hmm. You have to water that thing. You can't remove that thought because it gets too much momentum. You have to flood it out of your system by adding new things to your mind. So introducing new lines of thought, new lines of experience, and getting the body involved. So you go – like in the book, it's even something as simple as, okay, go grocery shopping or go work in your garden or go do something where you have to use other parts of your brain where you're like, okay, I need to think about this and plan this and strategize this. And you can – kick out and, and kind of get that, that thought loop to go, to move on and basically get out of a loop. Um, if it's something more gentle than that, uh, then yes, through your meditation, uh, I think that just by breathing, sitting, focusing on the breath, uh, you can acknowledge that thought and recognize it for what it is. And really ultimately, uh, the space that comes from the meditation is what gives you the perspective to see the thought loop for what it is. And once you, acknowledge it for what it is, it generally will dissolve. These thoughts come up for either a purpose or not a purpose or, you know, the meaning of which we give it. And the thought loops that I've had, typically they're just there to teach me something, you know, they're there to to actually validate, oh, this is not true. And then that gives me peace because the thought came up to remind me that it's not true. Or Mm. sometimes thoughts come up where it's like, hold on, that's something for me to explore. Have you ever had a thought loop that, took you over that you could share with us that you gave the gift of goodbye to. Yeah. I mean, God, how many in the gift of goodbye, you mean just letting it go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Man, the, there's countless ones, you know? Um, I think that even the recent ones have been like very, very large opportunities that have been, you know, for me, you know, as far as the book goes and various things like that, that, are still open doors that are, you know, the doors open and they, you know, it's there, but there has not been confirmation around those things. And mm-hmm. a lot of those things would be seismic shifts in the life of the book and, and being able to share, you know, what I'm trying to share. And so it's interesting is that whenever those things arise initially, it's exciting, but then you want your conclusion, you know, you want to hear, well, okay, well, what's up? Like, is this going to happen or is it not going to happen? Yeah. Uh, and of course, it's always going to be weeks of waiting. Um, and so, yeah, th- those are interesting ones because they touch on desire. They bring up these, you know, all of the nasty feelings, all yeah. of the, the, the most insidious emotions and feelings uh, in general. Uh, and so, yeah, those are those are good ones, uh, good ones to to sit through. And whenever I start feeling, you know, like, OK, I'd really like to. I'm kind of refreshing my email a lot here, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so we've like, all been there, man. This is a, a huge part of me that understands this to be part of the human condition as well, right? Like we're, we're here to have these challenges, right? We're here to go through these thought loops and thresholds and growth. And by the way, congratulations on all these big things that are coming that are already oh, here. Oh, thank you. I'll tell, and I'll, I'll tell you about some of them after we're done. Um, but interestingly, so uh, one of the ways that I generally, one of the things I generally remember that helps me uh, let those thought loops go is remembering, okay, I'm kind of like stressed slash excited. You know, you're excited, but then you get stressed about it not happening now that it's on the table. 
And this can be for anything in anyone's life, you know, maybe something at work or a potential or, you know, maybe someone you want to go on a date with or whatever it is. You get excited like, ooh, maybe we could, you know, make this work. That would be really great. Yeah. Um, I what, Laughter was generally the overwhelming uh, medicine in my mind and in my life. Uh, and so or it's just generally what my brain generates to solve these equations. So I'll think about like, OK, I've got this potential. It's exciting. But I'm also like kind of stressed about it because I'm stressed about now that it's on the table. What if it doesn't happen? And I have to just remember like, oh, right. So now I'm stressed right now about what if it doesn't happen. But then when I hear that it's going to happen, then I'll be stressed about wanting it to go well. And then after it's done and I, it's out in the world, I'll be stressed about how people were receiving it. Mm. It's this whole game that you you just can't get out of, right? It's, yeah. it's like the moving target. And then that makes me laugh because you, you see the absurdity of being so wrapped up in an idea or something like that to begin with, as opposed to just letting it go and, and allowing what will come forth to come forth. Yeah. The monster that creeps up for so many people is that what will happen, what's going to happen. It's like the uh, uncertainty monster, but we also need that in life. I mean, if we knew exactly what was coming, would we even need mindfulness? Right. Right. There's a a big part of my life too, that can connect with this in, in being reminded, having like structure, you know, Gretchen Rubin calls it external frameworks for accountability, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, oblige your personality types. But you talk about mindful reminders and it's, and it's cool. You you talked about a friend of yours. He was, uh, he was working on his doctorate in molecular biology (laughs) Yeah, and you were working with him and you're like, listen, I I think what we're going to do with you because of your stress load and a lot of people can relate to this, you know, wanting to be more present, but feeling in their physical body and their meat suit that they mm-hmm. can't be present because the meat suit is so charged with who knows what, you know, past stuff, current stuff, um, toxic foods, whatever you want to call it. And you said, why don't we just, why don't we just put a reminder on your phone uh, titled breathe Yeah, <laughs> and you're going to breathe every hour that way, no matter you know what he was doing, he would just have a reminder to, to come back to the present. Can you talk about some of these tools for us? Um, besides just that one, I love that one and breathe is fantastic because breath work has been huge for me. Yeah. Um, also his, his name is also Josh, which is funny. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's a good, good that you, you picked that one out of there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, just because our mind is such a kaleidoscopic type of thing, I, it's so easy to forget, to get reeled into this momentum of distraction, you know, where we're focusing on all the things that we can, you know, and in the book, I talk about the infinite to-do list. You know, we feel like it's not possible to get through everything we need to get through or get to everything we want to get to in life. And it becomes very stressful. And it's, it's easy to get just locked in that, that momentum and uh, for long stretches of time. And even if you know the tools and the ways to reel yourself back into the present and to feeling rooted in your experience, um, it's so easy to get caught in that chain reaction of just reacting and mm-hmm. reacting to life and reacting and reacting. And so it's really useful, you know, to to have these little reminders of like, oh, right, right, right. Okay, let's pull it back in. Let's reconnect. Let's reset. And something like a nudge on your phone is really useful. Uh, visual cues are really great. Like sometimes people buy little Buddha statues or whatever for their house. And I'm not sure why people buy those. But to me, they're good little reminders. It's like, yeah. oh, there's a little, look at that little dude chilling over there. Like, yeah, that's the, he's got it <laughs> he all. He looks so relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's been sitting there for 10 years on the bookshelf, mm-hmm. just chilling. Um, so little things like that, little cues 
that can help you you remember in the morning. And even you can build these things into uh, daily tasks. I think uh, creating positive habituation can be really useful. So one of the things I talk about is not only how to feel the present moment or how to engage with it in your day, but also how to build it into your routine is like an example I use is drinking your morning coffee, if you drink coffee or tea or whatever, because you're going to be there doing that thing anyway. So as you're doing that thing, as opposed to scrolling through your phone or trying to do something else or write an email while you're doing it, spend just a minute, like one measly little minute, and really just stop everything and engage with that experience of having that first sip of of your coffee or your tea and feel the warmth of it, you know, rolling across your tongue and the flavor and the vapor coming up into the back of your nose and, it, you know, the warmth going down your throat uh, and just the, the dilation of your blood vessels and your body and your mind and really just be embodied for that moment. Mm. And it's a great way to you know, build it into your day where it becomes this gift, right? This gift of presence and reconnection every morning where and it, you're already spending the time. That's the beautiful thing about it is it's not like, okay, take 45 minutes to do that. It's like, no, you're already doing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I think about these things a lot, uh, but you can build those, those into your, your life uh, in, with things you're already doing that you enjoy by just directing your attention to them a little bit more. Um, I, want, I want to go to that moment really quickly. Sorry to cut sure, you off. Sure. It's no, really no. important for me to, 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 to paint this picture for the audience. You guys know we've all been there in that moment where we're sitting, we're still, we're doing our healthy habits, whatever you're going to read in this book from Corey and, and just what's worked in your life. And then there's that feeling. It's almost like that animal self, the brain, the amygdala, like shoots over to something that pulls our attention away. That's the training. Like that is where we're literally squeezing the biceps for the mind is those moments where it's like you're drinking your coffee, you're having fun, you're, you're sensing the aroma, the richness and everything, and you're just doing it. The just doing it is the skill building, the muscle building for the mind in itself. And I mm -hmm. think this is why, Corey, I'd love your take on this, man. This is why people don't want to be still or don't want to practice mindfulness is because it is a strength building exercise. Size. It's the same thing as going to the gym, just in a different archetype. Yeah, absolutely. There's one time I said or tweeted or did something. So I communicated it in some form somewhere that uh, people are fidgety because it's a lot easier to wrestle with nothing than to sit with it. Mm -hmm. And so we're always, you know, trying to to wrestle with that that nothing, that feeling of of stillness of being. Um, but actually sitting with it, as you said, is a lot more challenging at first, at first. And that's only because those muscles and, you know, those the muscles of mindfulness are pretty atrophied in most people because there's no schooling or training around this you know, that we get from our upbringing in most cases. So those muscles are small at first, but once you begin to just develop even the most basic practices of it, it's amazing how quickly that becomes a really strong and easy thing to do. Uh, one example through as far as um, there's this way, you know, we can, of how you think your way into a, a better perspective, into a better future. It's a very um, real, tangible thing that any of us can experience. And that is we tend to, as I was saying earlier, react to our life instead of respond to it. Um, we all want to be that person who is free of judgment, who is kind, who is patient, who is more loving, um, who is more present, who connects more deeply with the people in their lives. 
Um, but there are these emerging negative qualities. We've like, oh, well, here's a judgmental thought. Here's this thought. Here's this critical thought. Here's this rude thought. Here's this mean thought. Those things arise and pass through. And generally, because there's no space there and we're living in a reactionary way, we say those things without thinking of them. And then usually later do a little post-event processing and go, oh, well, I was kind of a jerk. I wish I wouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. And so through – being able to, you know, through a little meditation or just being able to recognize when those things arise and choosing to not say those things, choosing to throw those things into what I call the mindfulness gap, uh, creates this whole different version of you because, you know, we're not our thoughts, we're our thoughts we put into action. You know, I said this thing uh, yesterday that was like, the clouds roll on and the sun remains unaffected. It's like you, the sun is your mind. The sun is your awareness and, and the fullness of what you are. And your thoughts are simply the clouds moving through. And some of those clouds are stormy. Some of them are clear. Some of them are pretty. Some of them are daunting looking. But it's up to the sun, and, you know, which is your mind, to choose which of those that you put into your world and which mm-hmm. you create. And so through, through doing that – and you, you, know, you don't have to have a 100% score on that all the time. You just apply yourself the best that you can – Whenever you realize you're about to go down a dark road of conversation, because <laughs> you know, you can feel yeah. that coming up sometimes. Of course, you can feel like, all right, let's take this this person down a notch or whatever. Let's go in on this person. You can feel that arising. It almost feels like a little adolescent, like it's naughty or something, you know. And and you can feel that that thing coming up, that swelling, and you can let that go and just keep it moving. And it's amazing how. Uh, you, that feeling passes and you completely forget about that thing you felt, uh, in, in that impulse you had to express that. But what's incredible about this is that by doing that even a little bit for a period of time, you know, the way that the neuroplasticity of our brain rewires our brain, you know, common thought pathways uh, are rewired by our brain to, to optimize the flow of thought and electricity through our minds. And so by not indulging on negative thoughts and critical thoughts and indulging on positive ones and spreading those, your brain begins to rewire itself where you literally think in a more positive way. And those arising negative thoughts, the arising even anxieties, those things become more distant. And since your brain is rewired in a more optimistic and more open and more peaceful type of way, 24-7, when you look out of the windows of your eyes at the world, your perception of your world becomes more positive and open and optimistic. It's an um, unbelievable effect. And I've watched that, the wattage of that turn up in my life over the last couple of decades. It's a very real thing. Well, takes- we, we can literally rewire the meat radio. Doesn't That's matter right. <laughs> how, what stage of life we're in. I mean, we can, we can create these new pathways. And I know on your podcast too, you interview some amazing people about this, the neuroscience aspect of the meat radio and our ability with conscious thought to go into the unconscious and take an inventory, Corey, like take an inventory of like what's true and what's not. That in itself is an entire podcast to talk about, but I'm curious how you see that in meditation. In other words, when we do have things that we're exploring and they pop up in meditation and they're scary. How do we have the deciphering capability to know, oh, you know what? That came up to serve me or that came, that came up for me to just watch it blow by like a leaf. How do you decide which one is a focal point? Mm. I would say think about the difference between hunger and craving. 
right? So craving the feeling, and that's just feeling something in the body. Craving is just wanting to eat cake because it was put in front of you. And you're like, oh, sugar, that looks good. Hunger is whenever you're depleted and you need some protein. Those are two distinct different feelings in the body. Whenever something arises and in, in your meditation or even in your, your walking life and you feel uh, that it's a craving type of negative thought, that's one that you just let pass on through because it's like, all right, I'm not going to have that piece of cake. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to indulge that sweet tooth right now. But when the thing feels like hunger, then it's like, okay, this is something I need to address. This is something I need to sit with and understand why I'm feeling that way and begin to you know, have a dialogue with myself about this and, and investigate it. That's powerful. And the more we exercise that faculty, the more that we are actually choosing the outcome. And you talk about this in the book too, with the, you know, we're kind of an author of the story here. You know, we're, we're literally writing this minute by minute. And I'm curious where somebody can actually begin to write the new story if they're just like, wait a minute. I realize that my monkey mind, these thought loops that come up, they're not actually mine. Uh, where do they begin to write the new story? Like, is there a focus that you guide people through in your course? Or I don't know if you work with people one-on-one ever for, for mindfulness. Do you ever do that? Um, I, I don't. No. Okay. So in your courses, have you had common threads come up where people go, wow, thank you for showing me that that story isn't mine. Now, where do I begin? Yeah, well, yes. And also I'd say anyone listening can begin at this very moment because it's just a matter of pull, no, realizing that your head is underwater and pulling it out. You know, so we go about our entire life with our head underwater and the waking up you know, metaphor is just stopping and realizing, oh, wait a second. I can choose to author my future starting right now. And all of those thoughts, all of the critical thoughts and the, you know, the, the, the whole dialogue in your frontal brain that's, you know, becomes – stories of disbelief of the self and whatever, or that things are quote unquote a certain way and that they can't be changed. That's all total illusion. It's all nonsense. It's all a negative self-talk to sit and realize like, all right, I am going to, you know, and I'll, I'll, I have done this with myself many times in life. I've sat down and just an out loud said, here are my intentions. Like from now on, I am not going to like, I'm holding myself to this, this ethos. I'm not going to, anytime I can prevent it, I'm not going to be negative or be critical of someone just because. I am going to do everything I can to be constructive, to spread, you know, this, the, you know, heart message to spread what I have learned to be useful, to be a good person and to be a light in this world. Like that's my ethos. I'm sticking to that. And I even like to raise the stakes because I'll go, if I, if I go off course on that, then I want everything I've built since I decided this to burn to the ground oh, and for me shit. to be humbled and start over. You know? <laughs> I like Talk to, about raising the stakes. Yeah, I like to make myself accountable. Okay. And, uh, you know, so you can, you don't have to get crazy like that. I like to, you know, uh, garden with a flamethrower sometimes, but uh, you can just stop and say, hey, I can, I can change it today, right now. And you really can, you know, not to sound like a, uh, like an infomercial or something, but, it's truly that simple yeah. to just you just have to decide and it's not doesn't mean in fact you won't be completely different tomorrow or even uh, a week from now that's not the point like life doesn't work that way you don't go from a seed to a flower in you know 10 minutes it takes time and nurturing and patience for the thing to grow but 
one, the equation for actual growth I put in the book is consistent action plus time. That's how you grow. That's how you create real change. Yeah. You just put that one foot in front of the other and make a tiny, tiny step every day. And you just keep doing that every day. And then you wake up in three months and go, oh, wow, I'm a different person than I was three months ago. And that was the realization I had in my my teen years whenever you know, I began trying to deconstruct my suffering. I realized that whenever I started meditating, that really it became – had this kind of Viktor Frankl moment of like I am free in my mind. That's my sanctuary. And meditation became the space of no matter what's happening outside of my body – Inside my body, that space is mine, and I'm going to make that like a holy place, a place where I can let go of my pain and have peace and find like the love that I want in that space. And that's why I became so dedicated to med- meditating at such a young age. And as I continued to do that, I thought, well, what is it that's happening right now? Like, what am I – What? What is it that's changing? And I realized, like, oh, my mind, my way of thinking is changing, so let me go read about the mind. So I got – you know, tons and tons of books on neuroscience, on psychology, on uh, semantics, on linguistics, on and then even on kind of some more mystical stuff like Crowley or whatever it might be. Just really trying to get the you know Sufi mysticism, all the get the whole you know collection, the ensemble of brain stuff. Like what falls under the umbrella of consciousness? What is the radio signal that all my mind is is coming from? And I started learning about that and that the more I learned about those things, the more I realized that it's just – it's a matter of choosing and you know walking that path and creating those little changes and then you can begin to see. I began to wake up to, to the fact that I was becoming a different person yeah. and I thought, oh, wait a second. Like I'm way less angry than I was three months ago. I feel way more calm and like less reactively uh, uh, sniping and like just kind of – jabby at people less of a dick you know yeah the the same thing happens physically right people that lose weight the right way and by i say the right way i mean like treating your body with a sacred honoring and care where you're letting it go slowly they don't notice it till they're like 10 15 pounds done and i I think it's the same way for the mind and this is one thing that i want to wind down with Corey. is you know the people that are in our lives man the the type of conversations you and i are having um i feel like that's a gift to the world but those same conversations can exist in our friend groups and in our tribes according to the power of our choice. We've all had friends that we've known like maybe since high school or something. And we we go away from them. We don't really feel rejuvenated. We don't really feel um, energized when we leave yeah. their presence. Like how crucial is it for us to create that tribe of people that are doing the work themselves? And when I say doing the work, I don't mean that it has to be hard all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can enjoy this transformation process. You know, how, how have you created that in your life? And and why is that a, a crucial piece of being here now? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, one of the, that's a great thing that you bring up. And uh, one of the things that I, uh, to quote myself, said that if you don't feel like you're being fed from something, then you're being eaten. And that's how you know that some people in your life, if you do go away feeling drained, feeling worse for being around that person, then they, you know, it is, it is a drain on you, you know? Um, and it's, it's good to recognize that. I think that who you want in your life, you know, I, I prune the rose bush consciously. I like to be around people who, uh, are positive, who are curious, who are open, who are self-aware, who I respect and they respect me, who has, have integrity. And, those are the people I choose to spend my time around and and share my time with because 
uh, I know that we're going to be uh, helping each other. You know, I'm also very interested in lateral friendships. You know, there's these sometimes, as you described, you can be the one that's always giving and someone else is the one that's always receiving or you can be the one that's always receiving and the other person is always giving. But my preference is those relationships where they have all those qualities I described and you're both always helping each other out and you're helping each other grow and get to that next level together. And uh, those are really special, you know, what for me become lifelong friendships. Um, And it's so, it's important. And, you know, there are people, they can be people who, uh, if you're around them, that you can see area for improvement. You said that, uh, you know, it's great to share this type of stuff with those friend groups and, and what have you. And it's very true. But, you know, an a important thing to understand, I think, is that or to stress is that um, no one you can't make anyone understand anything. You can't force anyone to learn or to have an insight, right? We all must realize them ourselves for them to actually have power. But the way that you can do that is by teaching by example, by living the thing that we're talking about right now, by showing up in life and embodying all of the stuff we've just simply talked about, but really embodying it and just being patient, living that, being that thing and allowing people to observe how you exist in the world. And through that, mm-hmm. over time, they will begin to recognize the qualities and see, you know, we're a mirror. We are all mirrors for each other. You know, they'll begin to see, okay, that's interesting. Like um, that, that dude or that, that lady is always doing this. And um, that's a good thing. Like that's, yeah. I am not doing that. Or I'm doing something negative that this person doesn't do. And uh, you can just be there for them by being your best you. Man, Mike Drop, thank you for this wisdom here. And, you know, wisdom is something that is earned and you've earned it. You know, I think about the path you came from where you were literally like toppling over, you said in high school, because you were getting no sleep and all the stress and things you've gone through. Like there's been massive transformation in you. And you know what it is, man? People say, oh, actions speak louder than words. I feel like it's different. I feel like energy and embodiment speak louder than action. And I feel that from you, it's been a joy to see what you've been creating. And, you know, two years ago, I I asked you this question and it's changed a lot for me. It's, It's the question that we always learn from here on Wellness Force. And that is, you know, in this intersection of, of the physical intelligence, of the emotional intelligence, and really like our spiritual connection to in the center of that, I think is living our life well. It's wellness. So how, how would you define wellness? You know, how does Corey Allen define wellness in his life? I think it's having that that balance and self-awareness to be able to continue honoring you know the fullness of what you are letting all the aspects of the self come together into the one you and let that flow out into the world with as least resistance as possible as much openness uh and as much patience as possible um and yeah, just making sure that you, for me anyway, I think that really setting yourself and holding yourself to this um, this plan for for love, this plan for for growth, and really embodying that and and not breaking from it, and really just walking the walk, man. I think that to me is what is crucial. The book can be found at a specific website, and the website is. Corey-Allen.com now is the way. Um, is that the page they go to to pick up the book? Yeah, you can just simply go to nowistheway.com. Oh, beautiful. And it'll, 
take you right there. That's a great URL, man. How'd you get that? You just looked it up and it was free. Uh, well, I looked it up and yeah, it was, it was available. I, I was very happy. There, what's funny <laughs> is that with the name that I came, you know, for the book, I, I grabbed the, the URL after I came up for the name, yeah. uh, with the, the book, but then a few other things were coming around, uh, where I needed to grab some email accounts and various things for things connected to the book and people had already registered them. And I was like, Oh, well, that's cool that people are like what I'm doing, but it's kind of a bummer whenever I go try and grab the name of my book, like at Gmail and it's already yeah. taken. <laughs> Man, this is so interesting. The way that we ended this podcast, because things are going to come up that consistently challenge our decision to love ourselves and to love this life that we're in. So thank you so much for being a reminder, man. You're really a beacon, Corey. You, you're this beacon where all of us get lost and we kind of lose sight of the shore. So having people in our world that remind us like, Hey, you guys, you're always at home in your body. You're always at home in your mind. And just being that beacon, um, that's really what the world needs now, man. So thank you for being you. Oh man. Thank you so much for that. I'm just super, super grateful, uh, that you feel that way about me and what I'm doing. And uh, I'm grateful for you having me on this show, man, to share this conversation. Corey Allen, we'll have you back again sometime. The book is Now is the Way. You guys go to Wellness Force, pick up a copy of this book. It's less than 200 pages. It's probably the most concise and also entertaining. I love how you do the big quotes as well. Mm. So there's tactical things that you can use. I mean, this is a book for the modern person who deals with the real stresses of the modern world. So Corey, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the show, my friend. Everything you learned on this podcast starts with your morning practices. So from over 300 world-class guests, we pulled together six simple yet powerful morning practices down into a 21-minute system guaranteed to increase your vibration and the way that you feel every day. Get this free powerful guide over at wellnessforce.com forward slash M21. And if you love this show, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that you love or that you care about. You can support the show easily by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash review. Or if you're on your phone, just tap it, hit the link in purple that says review this podcast. And the journey does not stop here. We're continuing this discovering process in our private Facebook group over at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. You can be a part of it. You already are. All you have to do is join us at wellnessforce.com forward slash group. And I will welcome you at the door. Now go out into your life and live your life well. And until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.